This podcast is part of the Red 5 Network. For more Red 5 Network podcasts, visit red5network.com. Hey, everybody. Jim Cummings here with an important announcement. Are you listening? Good. I have no idea what the hell is going on with these conversations with the fake Onaka and the digs to the big No, we're doing it. It's a tribute. It's a tribute. They're going to make me sick. This is Hondo Onaga. Ignore these Nimrods. Welcome to Conversations. I'm Charles. Bullpuff. And I'm Patrick. And here we are with episode 82, Star Wars, the sci-fi space fantasy opera. Has always been more than a movie to go see, a show to watch, or a story to read. This franchise has become a beacon of inspiration. That spark of creativity leading to other incredible works. Nice. Okay. This is an episode that I don't think anyone but us knows about, and we're super excited for. So let's kick it straight out with our fascinating guests. We have JD, who is a co-creator of something that we'll get into, and, uh, and Brent is with him. So JD, why don't you tell us what you've created? Well, on an overall level, on an IP level, it's a sci-fi superhero story, and it's a lot of fun for kids. And um, on a messaging level, it's a futuristic utopia. So the location is a world called New Gen. And New Gen is a, a parallel dimension to Earth. And we've got superheroes that emanate from this futuristic utopia. And it's a lot of fun. And it's going to be uh, something in the future. I'm not going to tell you what it is until we get into it later on. <laughs> All right. Yeah. Cool, cool. And Brent's here. He's one of the writers on the uh, project, yes? Yes. I was brought on by uh, Chris and, and JD a couple of years ago um, as we've been developing yeah. the project. And I was drawn to it initially because of, of the world that the guys had created. And I think, you know, my background actually having written for Clone Wars and Rebels, you know, worked on Star Trek and League of Legends and Halo and, you know, just a, a number of things that aligned kind of thematically and tonally with what the, the world that the guys had created. I think that was, it was a good fit in terms of, you know, what I could bring to the world to help them further develop what they had already put so much kind of uh, care and, and creativity into. And see, I told you it would be exciting. I knew it. <laughs> You'd mentioned the word family, you know, family friendly. But the history that's involved in this storyline is phenomenal. So I'd also like to add in there educational because it's also richly interwoven into this epic story. And I got to say congratulations on that as well. Oh, thank you. It's two families at the center of this story. And one family is Gabriel, who's the Mark Hamill character, and is the leader of this futuristic uh, APNG. Thea, the wife, Lena Hetty, that character, and these twin brothers are put on Earth because of the of what's going to happen in New Gen. There's Gabriel is is very concerned. So, but that family is basically apart because the kids, the twins, are growing up in New York, in Brooklyn. 
and meanwhile, there's another family, Daedalus, um, who's actually Gabriel's best friend and scientific apprentice, and his daughter marks the other family. So it's really rooted in, in family at the center of this whole thing. And then this APNG, which is the Association for the Protection of New Gen, that becomes a family because Gabriel and Thea are adopting children into that family when there's nanobots released in the world of new gen they take them in as as children so it's that family as well when i first read the comics it felt very much like sort of a um xavier school for the gifted type of feel where these people are you know in school or, or they're in in society and things are happening to them and so they get brought into this sort of safe haven where they can you know learn to use and control their new powers and all that are so diverse they're like everybody's got like different stuff and um learn how to manage this and they're they're all kids like um adolescent sort of teenage and um yeah. you've got enough to deal with as a regular human at that age so <laughs> so really to kind of um add that on top it's got to be has got to be terrifying so you know gabriel takes that onto his shoulders to kind of have a place for oh. them and he kind of Jorel's his way to um mm. to send his sons away mm. um for safekeeping to mm -hmm. all of it's just fascinating i love it yeah um i think the thing is that really uh one of the cool things is that there's creatures in this apng you know um and there's there are humans and then there's even ai mm. and they're really <laughs> existing together as this like motley crew in a way you know yeah. I read part of the story, too, that uh, you were talking about, Brent, the diversity of these characters. Not only does it give the option for uh, creative applications of these, like, abilities, but it also gives, like, a visual representation, but also then just letting your mind explore this new universe. And as a writer, I got to imagine that's got to be, like, freeing. It's like, like you know, the, the sky's the limit. And then, hey, let's, let's go see what we can find out there. Absolutely. I mean having the collection of characters that we do, um, we keep saying that, that, that it's about family, but from a writing standpoint, it's fun to lean into the dysfunctional family part of it. Yeah. Right? <laughs> because, um, you know, all of these characters that are struggling with their own powers and their own identities um, that are maybe not as fully mature as they need to be yet, um, are also kind of jockeying for position and attention from Gabriel and Thea. And that creates for a lot of fun dynamics when you're writing that everyone is, ultimately they are family, but like the best families, they can be very competitive and they can, you know, a couple brothers can gang up on another one one time. And, you know, at the end of the day, it's all love. But from a writing standpoint, it's really fun to have all of that family-based conflict to play with in characters that are, where, you know, the nothing less than the fate of the universe is at stake, but they've got a score to settle with their brother, right? Like that's, that's <laughs> and, and meanwhile, Robo Duck is burping fire to, for attention because he's an underdeveloped AI. It's, it's a little bit of a um, defect that Gabriel makes in creating him. So as i mentioned earlier it started out as a comic and now you're developing it into a, a television show um with voice actors obviously 
what what was the conversation like with discussing with the actor to play RoboDuck? How'd you sell that character? <laughs> well, Luke Wilson is gonna play RoboDuck. <laughs> and um I heard him burp and I knew he got it. <laughs> <laughs> That's perfect. <laughs> He had one of those really, you know, bellowing burps. I said, you got the role, Luke. (laughs) He's like, what role? You're like, don't worry about it. We'll tell you later. (laughs) You thought SNL was hard. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, man. Was that just one of those weird, hey, we should have a robotic duck that belches fire because he's imperfect. I don't know. I mean, I, I just think it's it's fun. It's he's like the rocket raccoon, you right? Know? Yes. Um, but he he's very smart, Robo Duck, and it, it, even though he's uh, there's a, a defect there, um, I think he's comedic in a fun way because there really needs to be a lot of comedy in this right. because it's such an epic universe, and I think that little duck in some way, you know, c- kind of brings you back to there's humor in this, like Brent was saying, as far as the dysfunctional families, yeah. you know. Yeah, because there's a lot of pretty heaviness, especially with Daedalus. And just with his, not to get like super spoilery. Are we getting spoilery? I don't know. Um, <laughs> but essentially in his split from Gabriel, you can tell kind of psychologically uh, the changes going on with him. And also visually, he changes incredibly. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And almost like some mythical creature like from Jason and the Argonauts or something like you flip from human to yeah. to yeah. this terrible looking tortured creature and that's heavy enough to read and then it's good to have burping ducks cuz <laughs> it kind of keeps <laughs> keeps you from uh, from being like wow this is intense you know I mean that's mm-hmm. a yes mark of a great story is where you can lace those story arcs with Deep, you know, good versus evil, uh, Daedalus versus Gabriel, and mm-hmm. the overarching theme. And you got Thea, who's this sort of rock, this this foundation of keeping both sides, not just the good and evil, but also uh, Earth and then New Gen. But throw in some humor. I mean, it, the Minotaur Mini, and he drops in there. Hello there. I got to imagine, first of all, that's an Obi-Wan throughout right there. But yeah. he definitely paces that heaviness. Yeah, I mean, I think the best franchises do that very well. They represent the the whole range of human emotions and make it feel very mm-hmm. natural and organic. It doesn't feel forced. I mean, look at Star Wars, the opening of New Hope, and you you know you have the two droids chattering away, right? <laughs> yeah, and it's very comedic. It sounds, it feels like an old vaudeville routine. Right? <laughs> and not not yeah. long after that, you've got Darth Vader. Yeah. Like coming in and feeling like death, literally, like the Grim yeah. Reaper has just appeared. And then the, that movie just goes through, it hits every gear, right? From triumph to tragedy to, you know, humor to love to, you know, jealousy to like, it, it makes the world feel epic in an emotional mm-hmm. way, right? Which right. I, I think is hugely important. You look at a movie like um, Avengers Endgame, right? Thanos, there couldn't be a more dour and depressing <laughs> villain. And yeah. yet there's there's moments of real levity and humor sprinkled throughout that because the villain has put everyone, you know, up against the wall, but the heroes are all still struggling to work together. And 
Mm-hmm. It's even in that circumstance, gallows humor, right? Where it's like, I know right. it's really bleak, um, <laughs> but you know, we, you, you still got to have your sense of humor about you. Um, I, I think it's really important to to find comedy and especially when it comes from, you know, characters, eccentricities, or even weaknesses. Mm. Um, those things reminds you that they're just human, right? Mm. And it's another mm. interesting way to keep tension. It's mm. like, you know, they're not taking it seriously enough. Like, this is, you've got to take it more seriously. There's like <laughs> stakes here. Uh, so there's there's a lot of reasons to do it. And when it works well, it, it's beautiful, right? It, it, and that's that's, I think, what we're, certainly what we're aiming for. I think you're nailing it because, you know, you've got certain character development, certain aspects of storyline that are identifiable. And when you can, on a personal level, associate with what's going on in the story, you're, you're drawn in and you're almost, you're almost like pulled in and mm-hmm. it allows you to immerse in it completely because this is, I can believe this. I can identify with, with what some of these characters are going through and with some of the, you know, not the adversity of like the underworld and, and nanobots and stuff, but, but that sort of same tension and all that, that we see in a different way, but it's the same concept in, in our lives. Yeah. And that's one of the foundation messages that uh, Mark had mentioned in his foreword, as it were, is that these characters in the story were relatable. And it, yeah. you know, it's a science fiction story, but all of these different arcs and the trials and tribulations that they go through uh, immediately allows you to connect to the characters, which then deepens your connection to the story. You just got it becomes a page turner at that point. Yeah. And I, I think that, you know, when the twins are on Earth and they're growing up in Brooklyn, and you know they're changing because a lot of the like you said the adolescent you know your bodies go through change but all of a sudden think about you know if you woke up one day and you discovered you're full of these little machines called nanobots and you almost anything you can do from a power standpoint you know you're able to to go to this other world to train but then you know you got to get back to do your homework (laughs) you know yeah (laughs) You can't stay in New Gen too long because you, know, you have detention. You have to get back for detention, you know? Right. <laughs> Plus the curfew. You got to be in bed at nine o'clock right. and all that kind right. of stuff, right? <laughs> when the street lights come on, you better be back in Brooklyn, young man. The fun thing about like stories like that where, you know, you have characters that lead a double life is that an audience can get invested in. I'm part of the secret. Uh, but and I don't want if the secret gets out, then these characters are going to be in big trouble. So it's fun for me to be in on the secret. But all the other characters, let's let's keep it away from them. The other thing, too, is if you think about it, you know, like in terms of relatability, it's like a lot of times everything has to work as a metaphor. So I think a lot of high school kids, you know, what is the double life that they lead? A lot of them play sports and they're playing sports because either they or their parents believe they will be a superhero in another way. They'll go on to be a sports, they'll get a scholarship, they'll play, they'll become in the pro leagues. And now very few of them will, but a lot of them are living that fantasy, that hope, right? That they will be live up to that dream. And, um, but that's a hard thing. And you ask a lot of those teenagers, it's like, oh God, and I still got to go to school. Right. Like I've got to commit everything to this sports thing, but I still got to go to school. I still got to do my own work. 
and they are living a double life. And it's not a secret, right? That's the extra Mm -hmm. dramatic stakes that we're adding. But Mm -hmm. I think that sense of like living that dream with of something that's much bigger, that's on the level of being a superhero, while the mundane of having to do the drudgery and go to school and the homework and whatnot. And how do you balance it? I think a lot of people can understand and relate to that, to the feeling like you're being pulled in two different directions and feeling like you don't have enough time and you don't have enough bandwidth and nobody understands how hard it is and all those things. Oh, man. Yeah, so far. And I can't wait to see it. Oh, my gosh. Uh, So (laughs) one thing we forgot in the uh, realm of family is that, J.D., you and your brother, Chris, actually came up with this whole thing. Oh, yeah. It was uh, Chris, uh, who's the one of the executive producers, uh, as well as uh, creator with myself. He's my partner, and we have been developing this for uh, some time. Um, and uh, actually, Julia Coppola, who's also family, is my third partner. He is also a creator in this as well, as well as a producer. So your initial comic came out, what, 2008? Is that it? Yes, 2008 was the first one, yeah. Okay, so when did the idea kind of formulate? So it was pretty much right before that they started, you know, I started doing sketches, hundreds of sketches of, of, of the characters and then the worlds. And I remember my brother came in one day and he's like, you know, you're doing all these sketches. He's like, I think there could be something here. But I wasn't developing it at first for that. I was just sketching and kind of having fun with it. And he, he was the one that encouraged us to actually start a business out of this mm-hmm. and bring in investors. And um, very quickly, it was Julia, my other partner. She was the one that said, listen, guys, I think we should go to Marvel. Wow. And, uh-huh. and, and then we, uh, we did and we sat there in the Hulk room. It was like, you know, 12 guys. They're sitting around the table and we're like, we, you know, we, we want to bring you a new generation of superheroes and we're telling Marvel this, right? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And they're like, you know, we'll get back to you in like two weeks or whatever. They called in 48 hours later and they wow. said they want to green light it. Wow. So that, wow. That, that was the first, you know, jump. That's fantastic. Yeah. That's, oh man. I see. Yeah. You, you, you told me on the phone that you were partnered with Marvel. I was like, Wait a minute. These guys are, uh, these guys want to be on our show? It's weird. <laughs> now, before we get too far into the Marvel story, and we oh, got to yeah. hear and understand why it's called the Hulk Room. Is it green? Like a green room? Or is there something more to it? We're going to take a quick commercial break, and we'll be right back. The kids have the high ground at Jedi High. This week on Jedi High, the kids get ready for a life day dance. If this IG-00 unit has to put up another life day dance poster, it'll be my existence to end. Man, can you believe Mr. Windu kicked Fisto out of the class just for having his communicator on? That's such banthapoodoo. Has anyone seen Anakin? I need to talk to him. I just saw him leaving Mr. Mundy's Zen class. I think he was with Ahsoka. Hmm. Those two have always seemed almost too close to me. Are you going to ask him to the Life Day dance tonight? I'm expecting him to ask me. That sounds bossy. 
You're not a senator yet, you know. Well, I'm going home, and he's too late now. Look, Ahsoka, there's Padme. I've got to ask her to the dance. She looks upset, Anakin. You better get there quick. How? The halls are packed. I jump, you force push me. Great idea. Whoa, 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 whoa! <clears throat> no more force jumping through the halls where they'll be. Caution and learning must be your focus. Yes, Mr. Yoda. Mr. Yoda stopped Ahsoka halfway down the hall. Padme's almost gone. Will Anakin reach Padme before the dance? Will they connect across the stars? Tune in this Friday evening after our brand new episode of Droids, Death Stars, and Depa. A Felucia Films production. Right, we are back, and thank you to our sponsors, uh, Felucia Films and Jedi High. That series is doing well. And uh, just before the break, we were talking about that moment in time and in the green room. Well, the Hulk room. But what is that? Can you let us know what this Hulk room was about? Yeah, it was a, a green room. It was basically a green room. I think they had a big thing of the Hulk in there. And, and the, the seats were still, like, regular. It wasn't like we sat in green seats or <laughs> The purple. table was all smashed in the middle, though. I don't know what that was about. Hope <laughs> smashed. The, the walls didn't have, like, holes in them or anything. <laughs> Not yet. So you had this meeting with them, and then they got back to you immediately, and were like, yeah, we want to green light this. And then that's when the – I imagine you had a basic plot idea. That's yeah. kind of where everything unfolded. At that point, we set out to do the comic series – and um, it was the only intellectual property that Marvel had done where we were de delivering our own finished artwork. Wow. Um, completely finished, edited. I know Julia and I edited these things together. We developed several comic books at that time. We did a, a six issue one, and then we went back in time and did a five issue prequel. So we were delivering all of these. Mm -hmm. Then we did a graphic novel. Um, but at the same time as that happened, we started to think, okay, let's move this towards other media, mm -hmm. other platforms. I mean, comics was an initial for us, right? Mm -hmm. We had looked at a live action film. And in fact, I storyboarded that whole film. I mean, wow. I, I storyboarded it myself. And it, we have production design and everything. And we looked at it and we said, you know what? A better entry point is a, an animated TV series. Mm. Mm -hmm. Because of how epic the story is and, and being able to tell that over 52 episodes, we felt that it's a much better way and as a next bridge before the live action films and, and that sort of thing. So we, we pivoted after we, I mean, all the storyboards were there and we were, we were really thinking about doing that and we just said, this is going to be better. And then that's when we met Brent at that point. Okay. That's fantastic. So Brent, mm -hmm. um, you had, <laughs> JD had mentioned to me on the phone, a story about a sunny day in the void from <laughs> the clone wars. Uh, JD loves this story and I love hearing JD tell it. Charles has really no idea, but 
I would like to hear how all that kind of came about from you, Brent. Uh, well, I don't, I don't know. There's a number of stories around that episode, so I don't know. Okay. I don't know which, uh, but I'll, I'll tell the story that, that I like to tell. Maybe this is the one that JD told. Um, you know, when we were at Skywalker Ranch breaking that arc, well, the, to give some context, the way that those story breaks would happen on Clone Wars is, you know, at the beginning, we'd be there for about 10 days, um, which is terrible, having to live on Skywalker Ranch and <laughs> meet with George Lucas and break Star Wars stories. It was just, it was absolute drudgery. Um, but what would happen was, is that the writers, we would not know which episodes we were going to write going into the, the story break conference. I think certainly in, I was season five, we were telling four episode arcs. So everyone knew they were going to write one four episode arc. There were generally six that we were going to break over the course of the 10 days that we were there. And because you didn't know which one you were going to break, um, you had to pay attention and contribute to all of them because that may be the arc you have to write, right? So that was kind of the, the incentive there was you need to be equally invested because at the end of this session, you're going to get handed some outlines and you're not going to be responsible for those stories. So if you were on Facebook the whole time and not paying attention, uh, it's going to be a sad day when you have to write those episodes and you can hear all the discussions and everything. So, um, you know, as you can imagine with a room full of Star Wars writers, um, God forbid, it's like, oh, this is going to be a story about politics. Right, we're gonna we're gonna do something. This is gonna be a deep political or about the the, the banking clan. Like, it's like, ooh. and so automatically that would send up flares of everyone going, looking at each other silently, going, "I'm not writing this arc. Are you? Are you writing this arc? Like, who's gonna get stuck with this? Right? This was this was already a hot potato arc. Um, um, and. Another one would be, okay, this is gonna be a Jar Jar Binks arc. And everyone's like, oh, <laughs> so there was, usually there was one arc per season that everyone wanted to stay away from. <laughs> and I had in season four gotten what I thought was, that was like, it was my first choice of the arc was which the writing the episode where um, Obi-Wan goes undercover. Right, yeah. Reiko Hardeen. Hardeen. What an yes. arc! Oh. I had bounty hunters, and I got to do my the thing I pitched in the room, which was let's do the Bach. Yeah, let's do kind of like Enter the Dragon meets Cube, and like that was my whole thing. Anyway, so um, I got like a real like Star Wars arc. Like it was just it felt like a real kind of like meaty thing. It touched lots of stuff. It had some good you know lightsaber battles and stuff in it. So. Season five, I was like, I really want to do something different this season, <laughs> but not not knowing what the stories were going to be. So the day that George announced, okay, and then there's this droid arc. Everyone was like, ooh, that could be that could be that could be the hot potato. <laughs> and then he said, yeah, and I want it to be about nothing. And everyone's like, that's it. That's the one I'm not doing. I'm not doing it. I'm not touching it. I'm not touching it. In my mind, I was like, ooh, this is the one I want. A droid arc about nothing. Hmm. Okay. Interesting. Now, granted, ultimately the arc is not about nothing, but when it was first came out, that was how George was. He's like, yeah, I want to do something that has Mobius and whatnot. And so we started to break the story. And I think it was one of those days where 
we broke the first two episodes. Yeah, the first two episodes and then the day ended and then we were gonna break the next two. So we had just broken broken Sunny Day in the Void, which had like almost no story beats up on the board. It was just like, they wander around, nothing happens. <laughs> they see a ship, still nothing happens. They try and figure out how to get out and writer's problem. <laughs> like it was just like there was like almost nothing on the board and what would happen is at the end of the day we'd all say goodbye to george and and whatnot and dave and david george would stay behind with the producers and huddle and all the writers would then trudge from you know the main house all the way down to to the inn and it was you know beautiful long walk you know in the evening and whatever and it was always you know chatter about oh what did we think about that arc and whatnot and everyone was like, I, I would quit before I had to write the book. And I like, in my head, I hadn't said anything when we were breaking it. And I, I like just declared, I'm writing that arc. And they're like, what? All right. That's just so full. It's like, no, I, I want to write that arc. It's like, are you insane? You'll, it's going to be an utter failure. I'm like, well, you know, I mean, maybe, I don't know, but it's a big challenge. They're like, oh, the hubris. Like, yeah. Yeah. And, and so I, the more they like tried to talk me out of it, the more I'm like, nope, nope, I'm writing it. And they're like, literally nothing happened in the second episode. What do you think is going to happen in the third episode? I'm like, I don't know. I have no idea. <laughs> so I got back to, you know, the room and whatnot. And then once kind of the adrenaline had worn down, I was like, wait, what did I just say I was going to do? <laughs> oh my God. And then, so we go into the, the, room the next day and there's already chatter right it's like oh yeah brent wants to write this arc and feloni is looking at me like are you crazy <laughs> like, okay <laughs> so um so now i'm like really paying attention like okay we i you know the first two episodes the first episode i kind of knew what i was gonna do the second episode not a clue third episode i'm like come on come on we need something big here and they give me and you know what the third one is it's like i get the commando and it's like okay now i, I got there's a little momentum here and then i'm gonna blow up a ship in the fourth one it's like woohoo! so i i'm thinking okay so the bet came through big for me but there's this second episode right like i knew what i was gonna do in the first the third and the fourth are great but the second episode i could tell was gonna be my waterloo but i'd already said like i'd already signed up for it and i just remember when the week after you get back, you get a binder, right? With all of the stories and the notes and the, all of the art that Dave has drawn during the break, you know, the story breaks and whatnot. It's this beautiful big binder. And, you know, it's got, it's all color coded with who, what writer is writing which arc and whatnot. And I'm flipping through and flipping through and I'm, I'm somehow thinking in my mind, either I had forgotten that there was, there had to be some story for episode two. I mean, there had to be some story for episode two or that somebody had put story in there, like when I wasn't looking, like they weren't gonna just send out this binder with like no story in episode two, right? And I remember getting to it and all of the other ones were like three or four pages of notes and whatnot. And I get to mine in episode two and there's like six bullet points and two little notes. I'm like, I can't, I can't this isn't gonna be 30 pages of script. This is there's just nothing. <laughs> And I was suddenly regretting. Oh boy, did I regret. Um, it was like it was like the feeling I had the one time I decided I was gonna stand up to a bully, right? 
And I stood up to the bully at recess and I'm like, yeah, you can, I'll teach you a lesson. And he's like, okay, after school, it's like, yeah, yeah. And then as like three o'clock's rolling around, it's like, what did I do? Like, I'm going to stand up to this day at three o'clock. It was the same level of regret, but this was actually a more visceral sense. Like my career will be over. It's not, I'm just going to get a bloody nose. My career will be over. So I, I remember contacting some of the other writers and asking them like, what do I do? What do I say? Can I, can I, can I talk this out of it? Do you want to write this with me? Like just begging for any kind of lifeline. Everyone's like, dude, no, you were no. gloating. You were gloating. You were so high. You're like, this is, this is your sword to fall on. I'm like, okay. So I remember like the first day I sat down to try and write it. And I was like, I don't know. I don't know what I'm going to, I don't know. I don't know what I'm going to do. And then I just started writing it. And I was like, remembering that George was kept referring back to the chatter, you know, like that, that opening scene of like Star Wars, R2-D2 and C-3PO chattering back and forth and whatnot. And I just, I went back and rewatched that scene and I got like, I just got like a, um, a tone and like a, a, in my head. And I was like, okay, I think I can. And I wrote it in a matter of probably four or five hours. I just like, banged wow. a version of that script out. And the punchline to all of this is, you know, I, but I didn't know it was any good, but at least I wrote something. Was something. <laughs> at least you had more than six bullet points. Right. Well, and also it was, it was supposed to be an episode about nothing. So it's like, okay, well, there's a lot of, there's about 26 pages of nothing. <laughs> Technically I have done my job. Um, but what was, what was amazing is, is that you would finish your scripts and you'd turn them in and then you would, maybe weeks later you'd get like back in in the mail you get a, another package of scripts with notes on them like cop like printed copies and george would handwrite his notes on this and he didn't have great handwriting so, so sometimes it was hard to figure out what he wanted but i remember getting the script back for sunny day in the void and just bracing for like crossing out whole pages like <laughs> and i start flipping through and the only note that he wrote on the whole script was that he changed the name I had given to whack to whack wow. the pit droid. He scratched out wow. every, every single instance of it and wrote in the name that he wanted. And there was not one other note on wow. the script. Yeah. Wow. So he had no criticism at all, except for a name of a droid. <laughs> That's incredible. Yeah. Wow. And I was like, and I, 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 I had to check in with the producers. I'm like, is this, is this correct? And they're like, no, you really, you really liked it. And now cut to, I don't know, a couple of years later, he said in an interview that it's his favorite Clone Wars episode. Oh my gosh. How does that feel? It feels like I'm being punked. Like, <laughs> he still doesn't believe it. Even right now, I feel like someone's videotaping this somewhere. And it's like, we took him so far down the rabbit hole. Now is the time to tell him. It's yeah, that's right. Uh, it's like dave's going around brent still says it's george's yeah. favorite episode it's awesome what a putz um, yeah oh, no. i don't know i mean i it's weird it's surreal like it's but i i think look far more important than what it means about that episode or my writing or anything i think what it really is is it's an indication of what star wars is to george i think that and we heard this many times in in the writer's room. And I think it really applies to everything we've been talking about with new gen, which is it's meant to be fun. It ultimately, it was 
a story that was meant to inspire kids and give them aspirational heroes. And I think sometimes George would lean into stories um, in Clone Wars that were meant to be a counterpoint to how serious some people took Star Wars to be, right? And it's like, mm -hmm. I think every once in a while, he wanted to remind people, you know what? This is meant to be fun. This is meant to be a fantasy. And there's a lightness to it that, yeah, sometimes that pendulum can swing too far and it becomes goofy. But but I think it. the point is, don't forget that lightness, right? Oh. Don't forget that, right? And every once in a while, you have a season of, of real darkness and, and the Clone Wars certainly started off very much lighter, right? But then it naturally had to build a bridge all the way to episode three, which is incredibly dark. So it naturally became darker and darker. And I think that arc and, and probably the, the epicenter of that arc being that episode was George either consciously or unconsciously reminding everyone, the writers in that room and all of the Star Wars fans, that there has to be a lightness, right? To counterbalance mm -hmm. the dark and um and i think that's to me the big takeaway and if, if someone says why is it his favorite episode is because trying to sit down and write an episode about nothing it worked because of the world that he had created and mm -hmm. the themes and the ideas that were represented in that of a bunch of droids trying to make sense of their existence right <laughs> what an what an outrageous Thing. like who would care about that but in the context of the universe he created even that is fascinating now i will admit not to everybody there's a lot of fans <laughs> that think that's the worst episode in clone wars but i think to george and i think interestingly a lot of fans over time if they've gone back and watched that episode without mm -hmm. expectations they go oh now i get it now i see why that episode is so fun and and why it does in many ways embody kind of the the pure soul of star wars and I think too, um, Brent's a little humble here, but I think that uh, that being able to take such an idea that so many people would run away from and turn it into such an episode that shows that side of the world uh, would be a great tool to have in your tool belt for other projects as well. And you look at it too, then you contextualize that approach from a season where you've got these heavy arcs and then you look at then one of the pages from New Gen and you've got six or seven mm -hmm. panels of action and heavy themes and you've got one or two panels that are levity and humor. It, it balances mm -hmm. those pieces from the start and the finish uh, to give you that little mental break of like, OK, we're going to head into the next part here. And here's one of our main favorite heroes having a moment to lighten the mood for a little bit before we head into this heavy part. And again, it comes back to relatability. And that's where that story draws you in and, and how wonderfully done that is within every page of the comic. Thank you. I think you said the word balance, Charles. Yeah. And I think that's a huge thing because, and, and that's also something where the comedic relatability comes in between the twins. Mm -hmm. One of them is more that rebellious, you know, mm -hmm. one of them is more grounded, but there's incredible humor in that you know, them not getting along a lot, you know, and learning that, but if they do get along, what incredible things they're capable of, you know, but yeah. even, even the balance of the world of new gen itself, where it's a perfect blend of nanotech and science and high tech worlds, but also the environment and green. And, mm. you know, when you see images of, of concept art for new gen, it's waterfalls and all green foliage and, 
you know, uh, light rays in the sky where probes are traveling in two planets. And it's like a futuristic utopia, you know? Mm -hmm. And I think ultimately this APNG and the twins are going to bring peace to other worlds using that as a example of what worlds can be. But mm -hmm. within all of those adventures, there's always going to be, as Brent is saying, a lot of comedy. Because mm -hmm. I think that, and, and I, that's what I love about Guardians of the Galaxy. I think they do it great. Yep. I think you need levity with a show like this, especially where we're planning it's going to be on the CW. They're going to be ten-minute episodes, but you know the kids will be uh, kids will be cracking up. You know, awesome. Robo awesome. Duck will be burping fire. <laughs> oh man. <laughs> and I think uh, when you mentioned the twins and kind of not getting along at all, it's interesting to see in their sort of character breakdown. You've got um, Chris that has nano assembly and Sean with the nano deconstruction. So it's kind of that same power idea, mm. but two sides of it. Yeah. And yeah. to have those brothers that are so different, but genetically so similar, it's an interesting aspect because they can either work against each other or work with each other to right. break down something, you know, bad or old and then build something new mm. together, you know? Yeah. That balance yeah. the balance of the universe is is in their hands in a way i mean they're almost like two sides of the same person mm -hmm. okay the dark and the light and the rebellious and the grounded and and that's a very very powerful thing they're bringing that balance to the universe either at, if they come together they can save things mm -hmm. but if they're not together they can literally rip worlds apart i mean it's it's and then they have to get back and do their homework, you know? <laughs> right, right. I mean, priorities, priorities. Come on. Yeah. And what a casting coup that you had, too, for the brothers. Um, we're so fortunate. CAA has been working with us on the casting. And Finn Wolford from Stranger Things mm -hmm. is going to play. Who do you think he'll play? Which character? <laughs> Chris or Sean? I'm going to go with Sean. Oh, gosh. Sean. Oh, man. The rebellious twin. Uh-huh. Uh-huh. <laughs> Nick Wolford, and this is this is what's so cool. Nick Wolford is his real life brother. Yeah. And uh The Last Kids on Earth is uh Nick's show on uh Netflix also. Oh, that's fantastic. Yeah. Wow. The talent that you've got so far is is outstanding. You know, beginning in the uh creators and writers room, but then expanding to the uh vocal talent. Now for Brent knowing who you've got filling these roles vocally, does that play into writing for these characters at all? Oh, it really helps. Granted, you know, you can look at other work they've done and get us just a sense of them. But um, I think that, you know, when we start out, it would be great to also just have a conversation, just a phone call or a Zoom call with these people and just get a sense of their actual personality because you want to give them just a little bit of that. Like they're all actors, they can play anything, but also you want to capture just a little bit of what they bring naturally to just everyday life and then kind of amplify that through the character. So a lot of times you don't have any idea who would be reading or you know playing a part. Um, so when you have that in advance, you can really customize the, the story writing and the dialogue to the strengths of your, your talent. Awesome. Oh, man. So for the series, for the, for the animation, is that going to build upon some of the written and drawn media? 
or is it going to kind of include all that to catch people up that have maybe not read any of those? The whole comic book series is a backstory you're dealing with at that point, even Gabriel's story in the prequel, which is New Dawn. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. But, and that goes back thousands of years to ancient Egypt. So it's way, way back in time. Um, that spans all the way up to the twins, 13 years old. Okay. Mm -hmm. It starts in the graphic novel when they're babies and they're put on earth. So I think we can always touch on those things, but in the animated series, we're picking them up at 15 years old. Okay. And Brent can tell you, he tells this so well, like the first, (laughs) the first day we see them, Brent, why don't you tell a little bit? I, I don't want to give it away too much. We have to be careful, but you know, like the pilot, yeah, well, I mean, uh, yeah, I don't, I don't want to give away too much, but, but I, you know, I think that uh, as we talked about before, you know, you finding, you know, situations that people can relate to, you know, these two brothers, the the whole pilot starts out where they, you know, have moved to a new city, right, and they're starting at a new school, which if you've lived through that, that's there's a whole level of PTSD that, that everyone has around that first day in a new school. And the one thing that they have going for themselves is they have each other, right? So that that helps a little bit. And uh, but you know, imagine your first day at a new school when you're just trying to fit in. What you're told is that oh, by the way, you're not normal, right? That's what every teenager aspires to be, right? Is is normal? <laughs> um, you're not normal at all. In case, in fact, you're super normal. Um, you are from another world and you are being trained to become the rulers of this new world in which you will be responsible for everyone's lives. And oh, by the way, Earth too. Now, don't you have a history test to study for tomorrow? <laughs> um, and, and I think, you know, again, there's a lot of, there's a lot of crazy things that go on in, in that. And just as one hint, I think that we try and take a simple concept like that and throw in some really interesting twist to it. And one of them being is that the kids have what feel like the perfect kind of leave it to beaver parents, right? <laughs> they're, they're just mm-hmm. like all American parents. And as they're coming to grips with the idea that they there's something weird going on and, but they're not quite sure um, when they come home from school after their first day, um, they find that their parents are quickly in a battle with some weird creatures from another dimension. <laughs> and in very short order, their father is torn apart limb from limb only to reveal he's a robot. <laughs> His mom is a robot. His parents are robots. <laughs> And this is how they come to learn that the, everything that they thought their life mm-hmm. was, was a lie to some yeah. degree, right? Or a deception at the very least, mm-hmm. um, because they weren't being trusted with the truth. And so then right. the whole reveal of like, well, this is who you really are, and this is what's really mm-hmm. going on, um, becomes this huge eye-opening kind of take the red pill or the blue pill matrix moment. What? You know, there are other dimensions. It's not just that there's another dimension. It's that you're going to be the ruler of it, right? It's like, well, I guess I won't be applying to college. After this. 
So, but but the fun thing that we can do there is where you can have fun with the the visual reveal of you know robots doing crazy things and and whatnot in the midst of a battle. But it's also an emotional moment where teenagers are not understanding. Like that's the only parents they've ever known. So even if they're robots, seeing them torn apart is kind of heart wrenching. Mm-hmm. Um, but we can also then in the following episode come back and the parents are rebuilt. <laughs> but, but now we, we, we have a very different relationship with them because right. the truth is out and the kids know that they're uh, robots. But now when friends come over to visit, they're always worried, like, are my friends going to find out my parents are robots? Right? Are they going to short circuit when they bring us pizza rolls? I don't yeah. know. <laughs> so um, that's, again, you can mix comedy and tragedy kind of mm. intertwined if you think about it and you do it and, and you do it correctly at the right times. Yeah. And there was a couple of lines kind of early on in the comics where they're like, something doesn't seem right, you know, with our parents. Like, you know, it's just kind of like they're kind of not everything is above board but they're they're so in the dark that they can't even tell what it is yeah they're a little off <laughs> yeah there's just something not quite right about them yeah <laughs> right a little off they have a loose wire up here you know <laughs> and it sets a stage for that exploration and if you're saying is that you've got this whole runway where you can take those different pieces you touched on it about belonging with a family is that those twins are going to ultimately feel like they don't belong to earth. And then they belong to this family on new gen, this world that they, they come to realize was theirs. They were born there. They're going to feel like they belong to this new family. Yeah. I assume when they head over to new gen and, and, you know, Gabriel's there and on, and that reveal, um, I imagine would be just mind blowing to them and then to be introduced to all of these all of these new found family members that are there learning and, and already familiar with new gen yeah. and they're and they're kind of coming into this like oh all right i guess all this crazy stuff is going on that we need to get caught up to speed on right that's the thing is that on in a story like this there's so much going on there's so much potential um, you could spend episodes just staying with the twins and going through their journey of realization. And wow, now I'm at the APNG and I'm meeting all of these characters. And now I'm going to go meet my parents. I'm gonna... the, the challenge is that you have to do that in the midst of a villain who is ruthlessly hunting you. So you can't settle into any sense of complacency where whatever you're doing, there has to be the counterpoint that evil never sleeps, right? It's Mm -hmm. it's always right behind you. It's the shadow out of the corner of your eye. And so that's the challenge with a show like this where, yeah, I mean, I want to just follow the twin story and see them reunite and see them come to understand this new world and whatnot. But you also have to keep that constant pressure on that there's not enough time for that. You can do a little bit of it, but that's also what makes it relatable too, where it's like, ah, they didn't even get a chance to have like the, the full, like welcome home dinner. Right. <laughs> um, because the bad guys at it again, ah, you want that. You, you want the, the constant interruption because again, those are things that we feel like we want to see them go home and do all of these things. So when the bad guy takes it away from us, then we have a personal mm. 
vendetta against the villain. Like you're not giving, they're not letting the story unfold the way I want it. To. They just wanted pizza for dinner. Come on. Exactly. Um, you know, we've talked about family as a connection point and a relatability and humor and growing pains. Another aspect of this entire series that is really genius is the nanotechnology. And not only have you just imbued the story with it, and I'm really impressed with the amount of time and dedication you've given in its current application in real life and how it can affect the story itself. Thank you, Charles. Uh, I mean, we brought on a, a doctor, Brad Edwards, who's a, a nanotech. I mean, he basically developed a space elevator. Wow. An elevator okay. to transport human beings and material to space. There's something called the space elevator. Wow. <laughs> and he's one of the pioneers in that, in that developing that. But he's a consultant, this Dr. Brad Edwards. I think what this does, nanotech, is it makes it very relatable because it's a real science. Mm. Nanotechnology is real. And it's going to revolutionize the world um, medically, militarily. Mm -hmm. I mean, we're going to be able to cure things like cancer uh, because nanobots are going to go right to that site. We're going to be able to change our form. It's absolutely fascinating. And I think the, the characters getting their powers from nanobots within them, mm -hmm. I think people can look at that and say, wait a minute, is that a real science out there? I mean, it's not just Superman flying. Yeah. Mm -hmm. but, but that, you know, because the reality is with nanotech, you could fly. Mm -hmm. You had thousands of small air shafts mm. in your clothing, you could fly. And this is what Dr. Edwards told me. You could jump off of a building and your body could become a spring. He said it could be as high as the Empire State Building. Jeez. As long as you had something there that protected your organs, mm. there's mm -hmm. nanotech around your body here, okay? You could spring back and up and down until, until you were okay. So the reality is that we're talking about unbelievable power that these kids have that children are going to watch, maybe get people even interested in the sciences out of that too. Exactly. Mm -hmm. Yep. That hasn't quite been done in another superhero universe the way we're doing it. It's different. That's fantastic. And I think that's probably what has drawn people to your project from Marvel to Brent to the voice actors and everybody that's now involved in it is, you know, you read your concept and you're in Chris and Julia's little baby idea that's, mm. that's kind of growing at this point. And everybody's like, wow, I mean, it's, it's something I've not seen before. It's got these elements that I can tell I'm going to enjoy. It's I've got to be a recipe for success. Thank you. So, what is the time frame for um, what you're looking at with the next project release? So it takes just over a year to do the production. We'll start it with the CW, the end of next year into the beginning of the following year, we'll start rolling out episodes. So there'll be 52 episodes, it'll be about 10 minutes in length. And we'll start rolling them out. So the animation, you know, the storyboarding and all of that mm -hmm. sort of thing has to happen first. The mm -hmm. voiceovers have to be recorded. And um, the writer's room is very important. Brent flew in and um, he's looking at our offices here because we're going to have the writer's room right here nice. in, in okay. our office here in New, in New Jersey, in Parsippany, where mm -hmm. we're based. We're doing that. And 
once we have those scripts, it you know gets right into the the animation aspect of it. We've been doing concept art, so we're kind of in a soft prep right now. Brent's written four scripts already, so oh, yeah, nice. nice. This is this has been fascinating so far, and I look forward to you know getting back in um, kind of as things progress further with you guys and and really keeping up with this with this journey that you guys are on that's awesome thank you we, yeah. we'd love to come back on the show and do this again Wait, any updates you guys have i know that production schedules and all that kind of stuff can change whenever you guys have an update you are more than welcome to join us and whether it's the series on the cw or you know, like the cliffhanger that you have in the comic line or what's going to happen with the, the Awakening series. I mean, if you look at the Awakening part, you know, you got some you got some sketches. You got those uh, line art pages at the end. But like, I want to see those yeah. colorized. I want to see text. I want to see all this stuff. I'd love to keep you involved in the behind the scenes. That would be really cool. Gladly yeah. do it. <laughs> I fell in love with the concept. And then just meeting you guys, it's like, this is such a cool experience for you guys. And then to kind of explore that with you guys is, is really cool. And to kind of get your perspectives on everything has been, has been fascinating so far. And I think we just scratched the surface. Yes. <laughs> Thank you, guys. It's really a pleasure. It's been a lot of fun. It's, uh, it's always good to talk with people that are interested in the same type of storytelling that, uh, that we are. What's the best way slash uh, place that people can find out about new gen and and you guys and what you're all up to i would say the website at the moment and i would also say new gen wikipedia mm. is a good place and if they have the contact on our website uh, email there the other place that we didn't even mention is the comic-con i mean we went from a one comic on the corner on the table of marvel to a 40 by 40 booth, bringing That's Mark awesome. Hamill in. And Mark was so gracious with guests, signing comics. Um, you say, what, where are they going to get a hold of us? We intend to do Comic-Cons in the future as we're releasing more comics around the TV series. So we'll be at Comic-Cons as well. That's a great oh, point man. you bring up because those Comic-Cons, not only do you have a presence there and a growing presence, you've got people cosplaying as characters, Absolutely. which is phenomenal. Yeah. That's right up Pat and I's alley. The whole con scene is just to have that sort of presence where people can come in and, and get that exposure to the brand and to your characters, your creators and your actors and all is just, it's an incredible thing for sure. Mm-hmm. Oh yeah. We put all different characters in costume and, and so that they can interact with the fans. I mean, Molly Fahey on, on digi legs, you know, like, like, <laughs> you know, seven foot something tall. And, you know, Mark was wonderful. Mark was wonderful when we had him in and and we had Gabriel dressed up. We had all sorts of creatures there. We had a Minotaur. We built a a huge head and this big guy went around like Minotaur. (laughs) It was awesome. I mean, the the fans love it. They love it. And to be able to create this world on paper and then on screen is mm. fascinating in its mm. own right but then to to rip it from those media to real life mm. and in an environment like that where it's not 
you know, some street corner where it's like the, the Times Square Elmo and people are like, uh, weirdo. <laughs> um, to bring it to that environment at a con where, where people can just immerse themselves into that yeah. experience is really a cool thing. Well, isn't that what's so great about Disney, right? The characters walking around. Yep. Yeah. Um, it's, it's, so, it's so much fun. Guys, thank you so much. We're very thankful that you guys did the show. You were very gracious, hosts and everything. Um, and you also have Twitter. You've got Instagram and Facebook. We follow you guys on all that. And mm -hmm. for sure, we'll be keeping an eye on that and retweeting stuff that you guys are doing and, and sharing what you guys are posting on there and to keep everyone up to date on this exciting story. Thank right. you. And uh, Brent, um, where can people find you on social media? Uh, the best place is on Twitter. Okay. I don't even remember what my my name is on Twitter. Oh, well, I just I followed think... you, so let me tell you what it is. <laughs> let me tell you what it is. <laughs> it's uh, BeFree63 on go. Twitter. Does that sound right? Sound <laughs> that, right? Is okay. that is correct. That is correct. <laughs> Wonderful. BeFree63 on Twitter, and then we can follow you along, and everyone else can follow you along there with your other projects, including uh, New Gen. We will definitely include all of the social links in our show notes. And like I said, we'll be keeping an eye out for you guys for not just new gen, but also Brent, the other projects. And we'll be sharing all that and making sure that uh, you guys have that voice out there from our perspective. Great. Thank you, Charles. Thank you, Patrick. It's a pleasure. Nice to meet both of you. Nice yeah, to meet you absolutely. as well. Wow. So uh, thank you, uh, new gen team for, um, just an incredible interview, and we look forward to everything that you guys are up to. Also, you can find us on uh, social media, and since Charles seems to know everybody's handles more than they do, uh, <laughs> why don't you give us a rundown of where people can find us? <laughs> I know other people's stuff, not ours. Um, oh. Oh, 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 well, okay. we're on uh, Twitter, at Suations, and on Facebook, at Conversations. Same thing with Instagram. We have a link tree, a link.tree forward slash conversations, and that can, includes all of our links to not just the show, but our t-shirts that are available on Zazzle and all that kind of stuff. Uh, some good stuff there. Uh, we are proud members of the Red 5 Network, and you, you can find the 37, I think at this point, 37 other shows on Red 37. 5 Network. Yeah, 37 or, yeah, uh, at wow. bio.link forward slash Red 5 Network, um, all of spanning so much nerd and sci-fi and geek and just really cool stuff out there of which our guests tonight would fall under perfectly like technology and storytelling and heroes and villains all that stuff would be covered in there and uh yeah i think that's it we have a website oh yes conversations.com uh, on which find good help these days <laughs> Um, where you can also find uh, conversations.com forward slash medical mission where you can find out about a mission that you're going on um, in June of 2022 oh, yeah. and you can find the entire story of your uh, Jedi like mission that you're going to help people and you know it's an out of pocket expense for you but besides that um, it's doing good in the world and you know we talk about Jedi all the time and heroes and that kind of thing but uh, you're going out there to do that and any kind of signal boost that we can give to you for that mission, we would be uh, be remiss to miss that opportunity. And uh, lots of people responded to it. So, like I said, conversations.com forward slash medical mission. Mm -hmm. And uh, I was just, I, I recently got my yellow fever shot. And um, 
and the travel nurse that uh, was gave me my um consultation hmm. was like uh so with some of the some of the uh insects are attracted to bright colors so stick with neutrals i'm like so browns and tans are good <laughs> perfect because i have just the outfit um <laughs> so um and layers uh, layers are good too <laughs> right right okay so so tunics under tunics right robes all right perfect all right good good i'm all set i'm all set um yeah, so that I I suppose um, that we will have an addendum to that whole section of the site um, when I get over and done with with that uh, to kind of give a uh, a report back as on how everything went. Yeah, whenever you have pictures that you can send to Kalea and she can send them to me, we'll update there and the whole story and what you're. We are going through, and uh, it'll be a, a, a great story, regardless of when someone listens to this. It's still a wonderful uh, journey you're going on from start to finish. So it's uh, it's evergreen, just like all of our stuff. Yeah, perfect. And um, so I guess we will uh, kind of uh, – it's 37. I can't believe – like how does Roe even manage that? Lots of Caffeine. energy drinks and uh-huh. lack yeah. of sleep. Okay. All right. Oh, man. What a guy. He deserves a uh, Wookiee kiss for sure. Um, I can arrange that. So uh, (laughs) that is that for this episode, I guess. And um, we will will catch everyone next time. I don't even want to – I don't even want to do a um, – may the force be with you because I feel like we want to keep it to to sort of the new gen gen. thing. All right. Yeah. Sounds good. So – Look for new gen. Yeah. <laughs>